Good morning, everybody. Uh, I just want to share with you a little bit, uh, some greetings from Ellicott. Um, I just uh, want to say, first and foremost, thank you for your prayers. Uh, I, I cannot tell you how many times we have heard out there already uh, from folks uh, from the community, uh, totally new to the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, coming to the church and saying, we've been praying for a church like this. And so I just want you to know your prayers are being answered. Uh, God is working in a wonderful way there. Uh, for most of our team, and there's about 30 of us, 35 of us out there, uh, we have had our expectations blown away. Oh, we have little faith, I guess. Uh, and we have a very good core of those from Ellicott, Callahan, Rush area already coming, worshiping, uh, willing and desirous to connect and volunteer for different ministries uh, to replace those who are uh, there for six months to a year. And it is just a rich, rich blessing there. And uh, if you'd be praying for tonight, because tonight we kick off our youth we haven't had any youth. We've only had uh, newborn through fifth grade up to this point, but God has raised up a couple of couples from out there uh, who want to minister to the youth from there. And so they're going to have a meet and greet uh, pizza party tonight. And uh, I am confident that uh, there's going to be a lot of young people who are meeting one another for the first time. And uh, so if you'd be praying, we're just very, very excited about that. Uh, also this week, uh, God opened up a door. I'm quite confident I had a meeting uh, with some folks about the possibility of ministering to some of the folks in the schools there. Um, the school has over 325 students between the three schools. They have the elementary, middle school, and high school all in one area. Uh, it is just like any other school filled with brokenness. And uh, it seems this week uh, that God is in the process of opening up a door so that uh, we can minister, I can minister to young people there in the schools. And so if you'd be in prayer about that, I would certainly, certainly appreciate it. Uh, I just want you to know that uh, at being a pastor on staff here, it is uh, a personal honor and privilege to represent all of you there. And uh, what God is doing, there is no doubt in my heart and mind that God is in this and he yearns to meet people's needs through all that he is. And as you and I look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I think it will be revealed to you and to me afresh, anew, exactly how God wants to impact these communities with all that he is. And I just want to say thank you. So if you take a moment to open your Bibles, as Robert said, to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Eric is out there and uh, they are getting ready to kick off worship in about five minutes, uh, and I'm sure he is excited about what he is going to be doing out there as I am here. And um, 
Ephesians chapter 2 and these first 10 verses are, are rather familiar verses for many of us who are in the body of Christ. And that can be a two-edged sword sometimes. Uh, because you have heard it and read it and things like that, you could uh, be like me sometimes where I'm in a very loud room in a den and I could go up like this and um, I wear hearing aids and uh, want to turn it down. And I'm going to ask you not to do that today. I'm going to ask you that allow this to be wonderfully refreshing as God shares his word with each of us this morning. Now, in honor of God's word, I I would love for us to read God's word together. And so if you have a new King James Version, I, I would be blessed if you would read along with me. So let's stand and read God's word together. And if you have a new King James, uh, it would be a joy to hear your voices as we read together. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. As we gather around it this morning, I pray that your spirit would work mightily in our hearts and lives. Father, that this passage would be far beyond stale, but it would be vibrantly alive in each of our hearts and lives. And Father, if this is a new message for someone, I pray that they would hear, hear your voice in a very wonderful way of how you have come and how you yearn to pour out your mercy, grace, and love in our hearts and lives. So we ask your blessing on this time together, as only you can, for it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Eric and I, over the course of the past few weeks, have been looking at our true identity. What is our true identity uh, in life? And this 
passage of Scripture reveals that there are but two identities. Either you are in Christ or you're not. Either I am in Christ or I'm not. And I want you to know I am in Christ. There is a reality to that, to every single person here, that is. And for us who are in Christ this morning, our true identity is the fact that we are alive in Christ's grace. Alive in it. You know, as we look at these first few verses, it talks about hopelessness. If you look at that very first verse, yeah, you have three words there in italics. It's he made alive. Uh, I want you to know that that has been interjected by men. It's not in the Greek text at all. It is there because of what follows in verse 4 and afterwards. But let's read the sentence as it is in the Greek text. He goes, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He is talking about being in a hopeless situation. And he wants to reveal himself in us and through us in a walk of grace. I have now been a pastor for about 25 years, and, and in the course of that 25 years, uh, I have had uh, the experience of officiating uh, well over 150 funerals. And within that, I have officiated uh, funerals for those over 100 and for those who barely lived moments out of the womb and everything in between. There is no greater contrast that you and I live through than life and death. It is one of the most painful experiences no matter what the age that you and I are confronted with. It is that which brings to an end every relationship and experience with that person. Here in this hopelessness, this death of trespasses and sins, we do not have a relationship or an experience with the true and living God of the universe. It does not exist for those who are lost in their trespasses and sins. I have been there. I know the hopelessness that comes with that. Life is dismal. Life is lived very, very ominously. Whether you're younger or older, it 
hurts. The author has chosen, and the author is God through the inspiration of the Spirit, to use two words to emphasize that which separates us from a holy God, the word trespasses and the word sin. The word trespasses is that we have fallen. We have fault. We have error in our lives. The passage even says that our, our Father, at that moment in time when we are separated, spiritually dead, that literally the evil one is the one who is over us. The Lord tried to express that to the Pharisees and the scribes. And we would read that in John chapter 8. As he is speaking to them, because he, they do not believe who he is, he says, you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, uh, we're not born out of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he has sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, those are the things you want to do. He, he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he's a liar and a father of it. And because I tell you the truth and you do not believe me, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? For he who is of God hears God's words, therefore do not hear because you are not of God. I want you to know that even as an adult, I had no idea about any of this, the reality of it, and the truthfulness of it. The second word there, uh, sin, is missing the mark, the mark of God's holiness in a way. And so it, it boils down to where you and I, in our lostness, it life is all about me because that is the way the devil is. That is the way Satan is. It is all about him. Uh, you and I have to, and I'll remind uh, you here as well as the folks out in Ellicott uh, often, uh, that this is a reality. Satan hates God. Bottom line. He does not want any of us to begin to love God or walk with God. So he will do anything and everything to distract us from the truth of who he is. He would do anything for us to live in a hopeless estate, to live defeated, led by him, constantly filled with lust and self-centeredness to where our life has no value in pointing or revealing the truth of who God is. That's pretty ominous. That's pretty desperate. 
And as you and I look at this, I I want you to look again there in in Ephesians chapter 2 and look at the very first two words of verse 4. What are they? But God. I want you to know that God, through Christ, has a different message for those who are willing to listen to and hear the truth about who God is and why Christ came. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Think of that. His mercy, not giving us what we deserved. I remember reading a story about uh, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. Uh, these men were very well-known preachers in the city of London uh, back in the 19th century. And on one occasion when uh, uh, Joseph Parker was being interviewed about the, the building of of orphanages around, trying to meet orphans' needs around. A question was posed concerning um, uh, uh, an orphanage that uh, the Spurgeon uh, ministry had undertaken. And and he he shared uh, that, uh, you know, the children there, he thought, uh, was was an orphanage that really struggled in meeting the children's needs. Now Spurgeon heard that, Charles Spurgeon heard that, and in his flesh and in his anger, the very next week, that Sunday from the pulpit, he just blasted uh, uh, Joseph Parker. He railed on him. And just criticized him tremendously. Uh, And within that, the media picked up on it. Imagine that. Newspapers covered it. Imagine that. And the very next Sunday, all of these people are at Joseph Parker's church wondering how he was going to respond, knowing that Charles Spurgeon was not in the pulpit, uh, but that he was doing some itinerant speaking elsewhere. You know, they were thinking, now Joseph Parker is going to just zing him big time. And Joseph Parker stood in the pulpit And he said, I understand that Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And I know that some of the things that I said came out and came across the wrong way. I in no way wanted to impugn what Dr. Spurgeon is doing in their orphanage. I just wanted to declare the fact that this building and things like that uh, could be improved to help meet the children's needs. That's all. And with that being said, even though this is unannounced, I would love for us here today to take a love offering for the Spurgeon ministry in this orphanage. And so he invited the ushers forward, totally unprepared, and as they took the offering that day, the story goes that they had to empty the offering plates over three times because of the generosity of the people. 
Naturally, Dr. Spurgeon was blown away by the love gift that came their way for the improvements that were needed at the orphanage. And so rather than filling his own pulpit, the following Sunday, he chose to go to Joseph Parker's ministry, gaining permission, he shared with the folks these words. You know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved, and you have given me and us what we needed. God's mercy and grace, that will always be our hope. His love is there for you and I to enter into. That thought, but God, is emphatic in the Greek text. He wants us to understand God has pierced time on your behalf and my behalf to reveal himself marvelously in the character of all that he is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want every single one of us to know it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done, what I have done, God is there in all of his grace, mercy, and love. And he wants to pierce the darkness of your heart no matter whether you are saved or not saved. And he wants to flood over you with the power of his spirit in such a profound way that it makes a difference today in your personal walk and your life and your family and the community and the church in which you teach and preach and you are a part of. Do you hear the voice of God saying, but the mercy and love of God is real with his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. The old King James Bible used to say quickened, quickened us together. The vibrance of new life. For by grace you have been saved. And in the midst of that, of his mercy, his love, his grace, his giving of life through Jesus Christ. He gives us that which we don't deserve beyond salvation. Look at verse 6. He goes and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to know I know I'm not worthy of that. But God, in his abundant mercy, love, and grace, because of my repentance and faith, I am there. I'm here, but I am there. That future is awesome. It is real. And it is tangibly real for all who will hear the truth of God's word. And the wonder of what he yearns for us. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter and see how 
Peter shares a similar truth to the 12 scattered tribes. 1 Peter chapter 1. Just a few pages towards the book of Revelation in your Bibles. And start with verse 3. <clears throat> Notice what, what, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit we have there. But blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time what a blessed promise you know what hope we have in Christ Jesus and he yearns for you and I to walk in that grace and mercy understanding where we are in life as we go back to the book of Ephesians, I, I am mindful of the prayer that Paul prayed for the folks in Ephesus that you went over last week, we went over last week uh, out there. I want you to know that in my adult life, and I was struggling in my walk with God, and, and God made a real difference when he impressed upon my heart through the power of the Spirit that, Rich, you are not growing because you do not understand me. You are not growing because you are not delighting in God's word. You are not growing because you are not being committed or intentional in your walk with me. And I want you to know that this prayer was the first prayer that I began praying scripture for myself. Let's remind ourselves of what that prayer says. Go back to chapter 1, verse 16, and where Paul says, I do not uh, cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that in, in the God of our Lord, that the God of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of, of his inheritance with the saints and what is the exceeding great greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he used to raise Christ Jesus our Lord. And as I began praying that, I was reminded quickly of the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower? And, and my heart's cry, and I want, I want you to know that in my frustration, my lostness, I had lost another job, and I had the joy of helping out in a, a vacation Bible school, and they had brought in a puppet team uh, to minister to the kids, and these little puppets came up, and they started singing uh, what some of you might remember as a charity church mouse uh, little song, uh, and, and it was, Make Me a Servant. Make me a servant. Lord, help me lift up those who are weak. Make me a servant. Make me a servant. Simple. 
And yet I'm sitting in the back row crying like a baby because that's what I wanted to be. I yearn to have a fruitful life. And the parable of the sower says, but he who receives the seed, God's word, on good ground, is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit of produce, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And as I prayed this prayer, I began to grow because my love for God's word began to grow. I wanted to know the spirit of wisdom and revelation, understanding who he is, so that I could truly enjoy the hope of my calling. If you don't pray scripture for yourself, I'd encourage you to do that. You are praying in God's will. You are praying exactly what you need to hear the voice of God, to be able to follow God in a profound way. And that will bring hope. And it is because of his mercy, his love, the life giver, the inheritance giver, the one that abounds in grace. Allowing his grace to be experienced and the relationship to be genuine. Walking. Allowing our identity to truly reveal Christ's grace in us. Verse 8 is a verse that probably many of us have memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. I remember, and I've shared bits of this story before, and um, if it's a repeat, please forgive me. But I went to, was invited as a pastor to a graduation party. And at this graduation party, uh, there was this guy and he was sitting there and he goes, I understand you're the new pastor at. And I said, yeah, I am. And uh, he goes, share with me your, your testimony. And so I sat down and uh, for about five minutes, I shared with him my testimony. And then I decided to go mill around and, uh, you know, visit and with other people and get to know other people. And, and as I walked away, uh, this big burly man said, man, he's going to be tough. Now, I have no idea what he meant by that. But he said it, and he said it loud enough so I could hear it. And I go, what? He asked me for my testimony. About two weeks later, I received a phone call, and it's from this gentleman, and he goes, hey, my dad just found out at the doctor's he only has about six weeks to live. Would you go visit him? And I said, sure. I'd be honored to go. I'd be glad to. But I want you to hear this. I am going to go, and I will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. I will do that. And he goes, well, now this is landlines. They're not cell phones yet and stuff like that. He goes, well, yeah, just in case you're right. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at the phone and I said, oh, oh, I'm not the one that's right. God is the one that's right. It is his truth. It is his gospel. It is what he has done for us. And I'm just going to share the truth of God's word. So I went 
And I shared. And I went and I shared again. And now five weeks have gone by and nothing. And, and I'm wondering. And so I became very, very pointed with him and his wife about life and death, the reality of it. And he was staring it right in the face. And, and, and I said, gee, you know, trust Christ. And still nothing, and I left. I had sought a, a, another comeback, you know, three days to come back one more time and, and uh, hoping and praying that uh, things wouldn't end and that I'd have one more opportunity. But I also knew that his countenance really fell that day and, and I was fearful that the gospel had offended him. I came back three days later and the wife met me at the door, and we walked into the little kitchenette, and he was sitting there, and he got up and walked away immediately, and I go, my heart fell. I go, oh, no. The door is closed. And Mary uh, looked at me, and she asked me if I wanted a cup of coffee, and I very graciously said yes. She made horrible coffee. Uh, but, uh, you know, and... And we sat down, and she didn't know what to say, and I really didn't know what to say, and we just chatted for a bit. And all of a sudden, he comes walking back into the kitchen, and he's carrying, being a veteran, being one who survived Pearl Harbor, uh, when he enlisted, he was given a little New Testament Bible. And he found that. And these old little New Testament Bibles in the very front of it had John 3.16, for God so loved the world that, uh, you know, right there, that God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. And where that word whosoever right after that was a line, and they encouraged people to put their name in there. Now, I'd never seen one. I'd never heard of that. And he lays that Bible in front of me, and he goes, Pastor, can I put my name there? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about this. You want your name in there? This is how. And pray. Five days later, we are now in the hospital and we know that time is very, very short. And I'm sharing the joy and the hope that he is now going to enter into and the glow on this man's face of understanding he now lived in hope was amazing. And his son leaned against the wall like this with his jaw because he knew his dad was terrified of death when he got the news that death was imminent. But now his life had radically changed. Catch the emphasis of this passage. But God who is rich in mercy through his great love he yearns for all of us to enter into that and to enjoy that and to bask in all that he wants to pour out from heaven for us so that we can reveal this in a lost and dying world. You and I have to exercise faith for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And it will never be of ourselves. It will be a genuine gift of God to whosoever believes. It will never be of works, lest anyone should boast. Then catch this last verse. For we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is poema. It, it means and it clarifies the reality that you and I are his workmanship. It is the word that we get our word poem from. You and I are God's sonnet, literally, if we are in Christ Jesus. He has not made a mistake. You and I, if you and I are in Christ Jesus, you and I, God's word says, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. It is real, it is true, and God wants to use every single one of us. It goes on to say in that beautiful verse that the wonder of it is that that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, to serve, to reveal all that he is, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He does not only want to give us hope in this relationship, but he wants to give us purpose, valid, real purpose in life today. We get dismal reports all the time through the media. You see it, I see it, we hear of it. Even here in this room, just uh, Friday, we had a memorial service for a 24-year-old dad, husband, Death is a reality, and yet in the midst of it, God wants you and I to know that there is life in him that is very intentional, and you and I must walk in it. Notice how that ends, that you and I should walk in them. Walking is an active verb. You and I have to be intentional in our lives, committed in our lives to pursue him, and he will reveal to you and I what he wants us to do, how he wants to use us. And he will use each and every one of us dynamically different than the other. But I don't want you to leave here to realize without understanding, you not only have hope in the mercy, love, grace, all that Christ has done, but you also have a genuine purpose in his dynamic of what the church, the body of Christ is meant to be. You and I just have to be intentional. I know that many of you have a story of when hopelessness flooded over your soul. I'm going to share with you a very personal one of my own. Uh, Many of you know uh, that uh, I was raised in the foster care system. Back then they just called it welfare. Uh, Today they call it foster care. I was removed from my home at the age of six months. Now, I didn't know that, obviously. And I lived with other people up until I was about five and a half, six And uh, at that time, uh, just before kindergarten, uh, I was introduced to this family uh, that 
the people that I've been calling mommy and daddy told me, we are now not your mommy and daddy. These people are your mommy and daddy, and these are your brothers and sisters. That was kind of a tough day because they just pulled into the driveway and they opened up the back door and I got out with my little suitcase and they backed away. They told me about 15 minutes before that, they had pulled off the side of the road, pointed at a house and said, I want you to know this, we are not your parents and your parents live there. And I want you to know it was on again, off again, it was um, just a difficult thing uh, I ended up going to 13 different schools because of moving from home to home, um, partly because of issues within my biological home and partly because I grew into be a very angry young man. Um, this is in upstate New York. Seventh grade comes about, and I'm in a new school, new area. I'm in Florida. Family is still up there. And I'm in Pensacola, and I'm going to a middle school. And uh, as I started to go and start the school year in a new environment, new school, I quickly developed a new tag or a nickname, and that was one of Yankee. There were a lot of rednecks in this school. And by then, because of my own anger issues, I often found myself on the corner in a fight was some 7th, 8th, or ninth grader. That was life. Basketball comes along, and I love sports, and so I asked the folks that I lived with, and by the way, the folks that I lived with, uh, he was a Green Beret, and I'm confident that uh, my family put me there uh, in hopes that he could teach me discipline. Uh, and it was a very disciplined home. And I asked about playing basketball, and he goes, sure, he goes, but we're not going to cart you around. You have to walk home after practice. Now, they live down by Fort Walton Beach, and so that meant from walking from in the city across the Pensacola Bay Bridge. And I want you to know that uh, as a seventh grader, that seemed like it was three miles long. Uh, it's a very long bridge, and every night after practice, I've got my duffel bag and my books, and I'm walking the bridge home to get home an hour later. One week was particularly ugly at school. Lots of fights. But what compounded it was, as a seventh grader, I soon found myself playing with the ninth graders or the starters, the guys that knew that they were going to be starters. And I want you to know, this whole team hated that, that this Yankee was going to replace one of them starting. And so it just got ugly. And I want you to know this night, I'm walking across the bridge. I was crying. And for the first time in my life, I, I remember saying, God, if you are real, you know, and I'm thinking, why bother anymore? Life stinks. Why? I continue walking, I continue crying, the water's there. Why? 
And all of a sudden, a little red sports car shows up. And me and my foolishness, I get in. But God, fast forward two decades, I'm still alive, I'm still angry, and now I'm confronted with the sin, and I realize the reality of it, but now, but God is real, and all of his grace and mercy, and I could call out and ask him to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to know that at that moment in my life, I couldn't talk to 10 people in a group without, let alone talk to over 1,000. But God, he has, he has a hope and a calling for you, for me, in a profound, dynamic way. You and I just have to be intentional to engage him and his word and to believe it and to trust him as Savior and to march forward in the glory of his grace and the power of his spirit and to believe it's true. And I'm just asking you, do you see a culture around you that needs God? God's people to engage in him in a way and to walk in that that will make a profound difference in communities, schools, churches because he yearns to do that in your life and my life. As long as we have breath, he wants to do that. He yearns for us to enjoy this thing called the hope of our calling. And the question is, how engaged are we? How committed are we? His love, his grace, his mercy, they are tangible verbs in your life and my life. And he just asks us, walk in them. Allow them to transform us from the inside out. And watch what he does in us and through us, giving us real purpose and life. Hear those words, but God, who is rich in grace and mercy. Let's stand. Our Father and our God, you know each of our hearts. Father, I am sure that there are folks here that are filled with hopelessness and wondering, where are you? And I pray that today would be that day where they would hear your voice. And Father, if they have never called out in repentance and forgiveness of sins, that today would be the day that they would do that, to receive this gift of God called salvation and start the joyous journey of experiencing a relationship that's so abundant 
because of who you are. Father, I pray that you would give them the strength to move out of the chair wherever they are and come forward and say, pray with me, please. Today is the day I want to trust Christ as Savior. And Father, I wouldn't be surprised if there are those here because of the calamity of life, the pain of life, they've given up hope. And they too say, why bother? Why bother? And I pray today that they too would hear your voice and say, and understand You want them to enjoy the hope of their calling. Even if the pain is deep, Lord, I know you can heal their broken soul. I am confident that there is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world that you cannot overcome in our hearts and lives if we would but trust you and walk by faith. I pray that they too would have the courage to step out from where they are come down forward to meet with the pastors and say, would you pray? Would you pray? And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we would remain steadfast and movable in our faith and that we would move forward because this this community desperately needs to see the grace of Christ in us. Please make a difference today. Give us the confidence to walk in you. And we'll be sure to give you the glory. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.